Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Today we want to talk about something that I think all of us have experienced somewhere in our life. Maybe you've experienced it lately. Maybe it's been something that you have a uh, hurt over or you have an experience that was not pleasant in your life because you had to wait on something that you thought would be changed or you thought would be different or maybe you're even in a situation right now where you wish there would be a change, wish there would be something different. And it seems like maybe you've prayed about it. Maybe you've asked others to pray for you and it doesn't seem like God's showing up. Have you been there before? Some of you may be there right now, and I hope to talk to your heart today about this and encourage you a little bit. I want to just speak to you about when God doesn't make sense, the second part of this series, and we're just going to wrap it up with this today. When, when, when God is late, when God is late, how many know that God is always on time? That he's only late because of our expectations of when we wanted him to show up, right? So how many have a hard time waiting? We should start there. How many have a difficult time waiting? You, you waiting on water to boil, waiting on traffic. Could we, we could make a list, all of us in our heads, waiting at airports. They even offer you an opportunity, because I spent a lot of time at 35,000 feet, to pay $15 more to get on the plane a little bit sooner than everybody else, which is a complete scam because you actually pay to get like in the A row, and then you still end up having somebody come and sit next to you. So it doesn't work out all the way like I'd like for it to. But still, if you don't want to wait, you can pay a little extra and get ahead in line. They know that human beings, the nature of human beings, is so that we don't want to wait on things. And so I have sometimes when I'm sitting in the car, I'm ready to go to church, and I'm waiting on somebody. Have you ever been there? Gentlemen, if you're not married, guess what? You will be in the car waiting more than you'd like to be sometimes on the lady of your life. Just so you know, you'll be ready. You'll be ready to go. It seems like they're ready. You'll go to the car to bring the car up to be a gentleman, and it'll be another 10 minutes. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> Where? Did, how did that go that direction? And they're like, well, my hair and this and that. And it's just like, you just have to smile and go, you look lovely, honey. You look lovely. You're going to spend your life waiting on something. Amen? Whether it's the love of your life, or whether it's at the airport, or whether it's in traffic, or whether it's waiting for your microwave meal to get done in a minute because you're impatient. Some of us have less patience than others, but the fact of the matter remains, we are going to wait somewhere, and I can't think of anybody better to wait on than the Lord Most High. If he's going to make us wait for something, he's got a reason for it. Amen. There's sometimes when you're not, there's absolutely no reason. Like when you were waiting for me to come up here, there really was no reason other than to make a point, and that point was somewhat weak. But guess what? God has a very good reason why he makes us wait. So last week we talked a little bit about when God is inattentive and Brother Reese did a fantastic job of preaching to us. Amen. Let's remind him how much we appreciate the work he put into that message. And so when you're praying and you're believing and you're waiting for something, this week we're talking about when God's late. God doesn't do something the way you think he should do it. And maybe your expectations are different. 
Uh, maybe there's a, a financial challenge or a health or you've got a bad report from a doctor and you're dealing with the emotions of what's going to take place, how can I find out other options. Maybe, maybe it's relational for you. Maybe you've had a situation in the past where there's somebody that's in either in your past or maybe even in your life right now. Maybe you're sitting right next to them. Don't say amen. I just want to spare your marriage. <laughs> Maybe it's a child that you gave birth to. Maybe it's someone that you love very dearly, but they're not living for God, not even striving to be uh, right with God. And you have this relationship that you've been praying for for a long time. And it seems like God's late and showing up. Did I hit anybody on that one? All right, we have a few people that are waiting on God to reach into their family members. I had a conversation over the phone this week with somebody that I, I love dearly. I care about this person dearly. And um, I was talking to them about my family and my how, how I have family members that are not living for the Lord. And this individual encouraged me that they had prayed for their father for 30 years to come to the Lord, to know God the way she, that she wanted him to see God, to be baptized and filled with God's spirit and, and all all the things that you love about what God has done for you, you want that for somebody else. You see, you see the hole, you see the emptiness, you see the void they're trying to fill when you're like, it's not there. That will not satisfy your soul, but I know a, a savior who satisfies and, and I really would like for you to have that kind of relationship. The one that encourages me and comforts me, I want that for you because I love you. And they were a family member that I've been praying for for a long time. And, and this, this individual encouraged me and said, I've been praying for my dad for 30 years. And I went to visit him one day and he said, you won't believe this. I got the Holy Ghost. And then got baptized in Jesus' name. And then the thing is that it was not only just a celebration in his heart, but it was a celebration of 30 years of prayer that God is faithful and he will accomplish what we set into his hands because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So I ask you, what are you waiting on for God? What does it seem like God has not showed up in or four in your life. When we're waiting, we kind of tend to do, I don't know if you do this, but I start filling in the blanks with why God hasn't showed up. I start making my own understanding of why, because God's a loving God, right? He wouldn't put us in pain or pressure, I would think, being human, just my mind. I can't wrap my three-pound brain around a God who is the God of the universe, but I'm trying, you know. I'm feeling, I'm feeling in the blanks, you know. I'm just thinking, God, if it was me, I would have showed up by now. If it was me, I would have healed by now. If it, was, if it was me, I would have done something about the situation by now. But I want you to know that with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. You have to realize that if you can take that theme and lay it into your life, no matter how you feel at any point in life, when you feel like God has forgotten or, or failed you in a prayer or it seems like you prayed, it just hit the ceiling and fell back to the floor, I want you to know that that is not a wasted season for you. That God is literally making you wait, possibly because he has something else planned for you. And the story that I pull out today for you to read is actually in John chapter 11, and it's about a man that you would expect God would show up for. 
His name is Lazarus. If you haven't been in the church all your life, you may not know the story of Lazarus, but it really goes like this. There's a guy, he died. His two sisters were really upset because Jesus didn't show up to heal him. That's how the story goes. And the reason why it's so important of a story in the scripture is because Lazarus wasn't just, you know, John the Baptist, the cuz of Jesus, you know. It was actually a fact that in John 11, the story goes a little bit like this. I'll read it for you. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and... uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So there was two sisters. Mary is the one that's really laid back. The way you can memorize that is that Mary's always happy. She's Mary. She doesn't care. She's just happy. Just happy to be here. Just glad that everybody's come over to my house. I'm just happy. She's not really concerned. And then Martha. Martha's the one that's really constantly worried about the little details. She's the one running around the house trying to get everything cleaned up because Jesus is coming or friends are coming over. Anybody know any Marthas? They're always concerned about the details and they're always worried about every little thing. In fact, Martha was so upset one time because Mary was so merry. She's just so happy. She wasn't doing anything to help Martha. And Martha finally, finally goes to Jesus and said, would you please tell her to do something? Just have her do something. She's not doing anything. She's just over there happy. And, and so there's Martha's in our world and there's Mary's in our world, okay? But whatever one you are, that's fine. They both know Jesus. That's a good thing. Okay, so it works out either way, you know. If you're just happy all the time, you get to go to heaven. If you're really stressed out all the time, just keep Jesus in your life. You'll get to go to heaven too. It, it was that Mary which uh, anointed the Lord. I was going to skip to verse 3, so if you skip to verse 3, that's fine. Um, Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou loveth is sick. So they don't even tell Jesus. They send a message, like, you know, a text message. If you were going to text message Jesus, what would you send him? That's what they wanted to send. They're like, yo, uh, Jesus, the one you love is sick. They don't even give the name because they know, he, they know who he's talking about. They know he knows. So he send, he send, they send this messenger, which is the common practice in the day, out to Jesus to another city. Jesus was a, a few cities or another city away. And they send this messenger, and the messenger tells Jesus, Lazarus is sick, or the one you love is sick, which is an interesting portion of Scripture because they don't say that, you know, hey, Lazarus, the one who's sick is the one, if you go back to verse 3, if you would do that for me, Lazarus, the one who is sick, the one who loves you, they actually send a message that they think would motivate Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the one you love. If you're going to get God to do anything, you think that God would move upon his own love for us. Amen? So I think that what happens is they're really trying to leverage the friendship. They're trying to leverage the love that God has for him. And so they say, Lord, Lord, your dear friend is sick. And so they want him to come. And, and I'm reading out of the King James, and that's going to be a little bit different, but that's okay. I'll read in different places here. But I want you to know that when you're waiting on God, there's a couple things that you can do. So how many know that when we're waiting on, when we're in a waiting season, it's not a wasted season? Anybody ever experienced that? Okay, there's a couple things you can do when you're waiting on the Lord. There's two things, really. Number one is you have to understand that God's delays are not necessarily God's denial. Okay, when something doesn't go on, on the time frame that you'd like to see it go, um, then you just have to know that that is not God necessarily saying, no, it's not going to happen. It just means that God is saying it may not be the right timing for it. 
for your life. And now you can get upset at others that have things in their life ahead of you. That's that sometimes happens where people hate on you because God has blessed you, but they don't see the burden that went with the blessing. We were talking a little bit on Wednesday night about blessings have burdens. Anybody know that's true? If you were here Wednesday night, you know the fact that you don't you don't need diapers if you don't have a baby. Amen. So the blessing of having a baby requires the burden of taking care of the baby. You don't, you don't need to pay a mortgage if you don't have a house. You don't need to pay a note on a car if you don't have a car. So there's things that are blessings. You might be driving a nice car and people get a little bit upset with you because they see your nice car or they see your nice house or they see, they see that you have a, a family and maybe they haven't been able to have a family yet and they might not be so happy with you because they're a little bit jealous about the things that you have and that they don't have, but they don't see that there are burdens that go with those blessings, amen? Just because you drive in in something nice or you live in something nice doesn't mean that you're not having a struggle in your life life wishing God would show up and help you in some situations that you're going through. And the funny thing is the people that know how to handle things generally know how to handle them best in silence. We deal, especially as men, we deal with a lot of things quietly. We simmer quietly. And I've seen friends of mine, and I even know ministry friends of mine, that their ministries just completely annihilated, completely blew up. And people were standing around going, I don't even know what, what happened here. I don't even understand what happened here. And the reason is because they had no one to talk to. They felt like they were waiting on God, and they didn't understand that just because God hasn't come through for them yet doesn't mean that God has said no or that he has denied them. He is working often for our good when we don't even know it. And so there's a verse that I want to give you that gives you this understanding that really kind of shores up what I'm trying to say here. And that's John 11 verse 4. And I'm going to read it in the translation that they throw up, I believe. I pulled it in on a translation that was on my, on my you know, tablet here. So when, when he heard this, Jesus said, or, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sickness is not unto death. No, it happened for the glory of who? God. That is why there's going to be times where it feels like God delays. But you have to know it's not a denial. Because what is going on here is God is saying this situation, though it looks bad, is going to be for God's glory. And every situation in your life where you feel like you're waiting on God, if you continue to pray and have faith and trust God, he will get glory from that situation no matter how bad it looks. Consider the situation with me of Lazarus. He's a good friend of Jesus. Think about the, the, the ramifications of this for Mary and Martha. They're like trusting God. They're like, he's coming. I know, is that him? No, wait, oh, that's the postman. But he's gonna come. He's, he's coming. It'll be soon. He'll be here. He knows Lazarus is sick. He knows he's gonna be, you know, dead in a short little while if he doesn't show up so surely he does it for a Roman centurion he can do it for Lazarus if he does it for somebody else he's definitely going to do it for somebody he loves and they're waiting one day and two days and three days and the Bible says that four days went by and Jesus didn't show up and think how that made Mary and Martha feel I put my faith in you Jesus you came over to my house and had my homemade lasagna you were in my life group Come on, man. Of all the times when you should have shown out and been there for me, you should have been there for me when my brother's sick. At least, at least send a message back and let us know you're not coming because we were expecting you to show up and heal him. 
You healed others. You raised people from the dead, blind eyes, open. People who were deaf can hear. And now you can't even help us with our own brother. How are we supposed to even walk through the public square and talk about how we love the Lord and how we have faith in Jesus when he heals everybody else but the people we love? Talk about impact. Talk about hurt. Talk about waiting and feeling denied. This is probably the worst situation you could be in. Where you believe God for something long enough and it doesn't happen. But see, they don't understand. Because they don't realize that many of the delays that God has are divine delays. Everyone say that with me. Divine delay. When God gives you a divine delay, God has a reason for that not yet. Not, not yet. I've got a reason for this. But our minds and our hearts are grappling with the emotions and the trauma and the struggle and the difficulty and having to walk our way out of things that may be very difficult or live through them and we haven't seen God show up yet. But God, when he says not yet, it's because he's got a greater purpose that's going to bring him glory. Aren't you glad there's some good that can come from something bad? Aren't you glad that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose? Because if not, we'd be like everybody else, just trying to get through life, try to build enough insurance to keep us from getting hurt. Keep our, when we get in an accident, we have something to cover, put enough insurance on this, enough insurance on that, so we're safe and protected, and we have this nice little barrier around us to keep us from the realities and the harshness of life. But the truth of the matter is, God said, you're going to go through some stuff, you're going to pray about it, and it's going to seem like I didn't show up, but I want you to know that when it all gets done, there's only one word you can put on every struggle, every trial, every moment of waiting. There's only one word that will fit it. You're going to stand back and go, that was good for me. How is that even possible for Mary and Martha to even say something like that at this point? They're on one page. And if you flip the page over in the Bible, you see Jesus saying, this sickness is not on the death for I am the resurrection and the life. He had something bigger in mind for them. They had a healing in mind, but Jesus had a resurrection in mind. That's real good right there. Because you see our limited minds and our limited abilities. Now we're smart people. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm amazed at the human ingenuity of man. But I have to also tell you that no matter how smart we get, we, we can never get smart enough to understand God. And when he's working, we have to trust him. So in verse 17, Jesus finally shows up. Thanks for showing up, Lord. <laughs> Glad you could make it. <laughs> it's so good to see you. And Mary goes out, or Martha goes out to meet him. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall to see that meeting? She's like, coming, you know, a fierce and angry woman coming after Jesus. And she comes out to meet him, and she's got one of those hands on the hip moments. <laughs> and the finger pointed, why didn't you? Can you even understand what you put us through? You don't want to be um, leveled at and and in the in the line of sight of a wrath of the wrath of a woman. Hello, somebody. I'll just stay off that because that could be meddling. But Jesus arrives, and Jesus has this. I I believe probably confrontation with Mary, and she's like, "Do you even understand what it's like?" 
to wait for you and to trust you to do something and then he still gets put in the grave. I'm not saying everything turns out like roses for us when we believe God and when we're waiting on God. But even when it doesn't turn out the way we think it's going to turn out, somewhere God's got something bigger for it. And so what happens in verse 17 of John 11, Jesus shows up. He said, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus was already had already been in the grave for four days. And if you understand what Jesus was doing here, you find it really, really interesting. Because in antiquity, they believed that the spirit of the person hovered near the body for three days. That there could be something that happened where they could be brought back to life for three days. It was close. But after the fourth day, it was over. That spirit left the body. And so Jesus waited just long enough to absolutely destroy all of their conceptions. So there was no one that could say, ah, that was, a, that was smoke and mirrors. That was a trick. Nice trick, Jesus. He waited till the entire culture believed Lazarus isn't coming back. And then he shows up and he isn't just going to cause a resurrection. He shows up and he says, you don't understand, Martha. I'm going to demonstrate to the whole world through your brother for all of time that I am the resurrection. I'm not just going to do a resurrection. I'm going to be his resurrection. And so we see that so powerful. So four days, no hope. It's kind of like Wesley. And, uh, you know, have you ever seen um, Princess Bride? Where he, am I losing somebody? I'm, I'm really giving an old reference. I apologize. But in Princess Bride where Wesley dies and then they're like, no, he's not dead. He's like mostly dead. So it's like Lazarus dead for three days. They all thought he was mostly dead, you know, like Wesley in Princess Bride. But here's the problem. He was dead for four days, and now they show up, and Jesus is like, well, take me to where they laid him. And they're like, no, 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 no. By this point, he smells really bad, Jesus. And how many know what happens after a few days when, you're, when you've been gone? It starts to stink, amen? Something called decomposition sets in. And the Bible, actually, in the, in the NIV, it says he had a bad odor. In the King James, it says this wonderful word that I love called he stinketh. Go look it up. <laughs> he stinketh. If you want to make anything sound more holy, put E-T-H on the end of it. He stinketh. That sounds so official or something. It actually, the word stinketh actually comes from the Greek word pue, which we get, from, we get the word P-U. No, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. That's not true at all. But they were completely opposed to him going and seeing the tomb and even opening the tomb. And so Jesus tells them, remove the stone. And in verse 20 and 21, whenever Martha had already had this confrontation, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him and Mary stayed at home. That's what Mary's doing. She's just at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died, but I know that when he, when that I, that I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Look, the interesting thing here that I want to hit is that when she says this, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus is literally having a conversation with Martha. And she knows that he can raise him from the dead. 
and he's now at the point where I skipped ahead where he's at the point of standing at the grave and he's going to raise Jesus from the dead. And there's a moment there in time where Jesus stops and he weeps. It's the smallest scripture. If you're going to learn a scripture in the Bible, learn that one. It says, Jesus wept. Can I ask the $60 million question in the room? Why would Jesus weep if he's about to raise Lazarus? What would be the point? But the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with every one of our feelings. So I think he stood at that tomb and he wept for every person who would stand at a grave. I think he felt what every person would feel and he let himself feel it before he raised Jesus from the dead. And then, of course, we know the end of the story because if we stop there in the story, that doesn't make good for testimony night, okay? Jesus, you're a great friend. We love you. We have faith in you. And now you have totally rejected us. And now our brother dies and we have him in a tomb. And you showed up and we let you know that he stinketh. That is not a good story to encourage people's faith. Amen? So we have to flip the page and see that if God always shows up, he plans on doing something. Since he's always here, he's ever present, he plans on doing something. And so that's the next or biggest point that I want to make today, if I could. If, if God always shows up, he plans on doing something. And then I just want to reset our expectations, if I could, in this understanding of what God does when we, when we wait on him and when he seems late. And that is this. And this is probably the most important point I'm going to make today. Because this will help you any time that you feel like God has not shown up on time and that is this if God always met your expectations he would never have the opportunity to exceed them if God always met your expectations he would never have the opportunity to exceed them when we first started this church I was um, a young pastor I've been in ministry for a long time but and had a lot of experiences I had been a youth pastor for many years which that makes my heart close to youth pastors. Um, and I spent a lot of time helping kids that were in struggles, um, helping young men get out of porn addictions, helping young people get out of, you know, all kinds of mess. And we were driving last night, and we drove over to Pewaukee to watch the sunset. We were having a little Sarah and Jodan date, you know. And they have the chocolate factory over there. And who doesn't love the chocolate factory? I mean, come on. They have cookie dough, peanut butter, ice cream, and a waffle cone. That's that's like heaven in a cone right there. That's the good stuff. But, you know, I'm talking about what my problem is around the middle. So what we, send, what we see is we're driving away and we run into, we just kind of stop and we see a young man that we used to minister to. And he's standing there and he's with a group of friends and we call out the window to him. And he runs over, he's like, hey, Brother Calhoun, good to see you, Sister Calhoun. Hey, how's it going? And he starts telling us about how he's been playing basketball and he got on the national uh, youth NBA team now and he's, he's headed toward his goals. And, and I was like, yeah, that's great, man. And all of those connections that we've made, I thought would prepare me for this. But when we showed up here and we started having church in, in a hotel where, you know, some people start in a hotel, some people start in a school, whatever. The first two years of being a pastor, I had to un understand what it was like to feel pressures I had never felt before. 
to have emotional pressures of my own, to have pressures of performance. Like, I, I need to, you know, be a good pastor. I need to feed everybody every Sunday. I need to be there for them. Pressures of financial, making a living in Brookfield. You know, it's, it's pretty heavy to live in Brookfield, to want to live in the city where you minister. That's pretty heavy. And I've had thoughts of, well, we'll just move outside the city limits because it's so much cheaper. But every time I do that, I feel the Lord going, no, stay. You just stay there. I'll take care of it. You stay there. And every time, he's always provided. And he's never been late. And even in this story that I'm trying to tell you right now, how God moves, sometimes for some of you, I've watched God, you pray for things and you seek God for things, and I've watched it not go the way you hoped it would go. And as a pastor, that puts a pressure on me because I'm like, God, why didn't that happen that way? Why didn't it go the way we thought it was going to go? Why did we pray for her and she didn't make it? And why didn't we do this and that and whatever else took place in your life that I know about? And while all that pressure was trying to crush me, I'm trying to figure out how to be a good pastor. And then I began to pray about it and ask God, God, why? where's the revival? Where's this? Where's that? Where's the things I hope for and I long for? And he said, it's coming. But when I've crushed you enough to bring anointing out of you. You see, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane was a place where they had olive trees. And if you know how to get olive oil, you have to crush an olive. And Jesus literally was there praying. And he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Let this cross, this, this struggle, this thing that I'm going to have to go through to purchase humankind back from their sin, if it's possible, I'd like to get out of it. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I had to learn how to be in my own Gethsemane and have God put pressure on me so that from that pressure could flow a new glory and a new oil and a thing that gave God glory. And in doing so, I had some moments where I thought that I could lean upon some people, lean upon some friends, and I felt like the only thing I could lean upon was the Lord. See, the interesting thing about us human beings is we can be in a room full of people and still be alone. And so I had a friend. Let me just use you, brother. Can I use you? I had a friend. Can I use you real quick? And I had another friend. And I'm going to Gethsemane. And I'm Jesus. And you got anybody know who these guys are named? There's these disciples. And I had a few of them that were my favorites. And I kind of leaned upon them on a regular basis. And I had been putting how many years? Three years. I had put three years into them. Invested time, energy. When I was tired, they had questions. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they were the ones that I, I, really, I really invested in. I really put my time into. Okay? And you know what? When we go to Gethsemane, I'm like, okay, guys, if you just stand this way and just face me, we're going to go and we're going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. The time for me to be, you know, um, captured and taken to the cross is soon. So we're going to start walking. You don't have to hold hands or anything. Okay, so we're going to go and we're going to, and I want you to pray with me, okay? I want you to pray with me. Because the hour is near. Okay, let's, let's go. And these are the people that I trust in, that I put my life into for the last three years, and I've done so much for. And as I'm walking and wanting to pray with, and have them support me and be with me, they're going with me, but you stop right there. 
But now the Bible says that Jesus goes and prays by himself in the garden and he's all alone. And these guys fall asleep. You guys need to fall asleep somehow. I don't know how you're going to do it, but to make this illustration work, you got to fall asleep. <laughs> so they're sleeping and Jesus is going to be rejected and sent to the cross. <laughs> they're trying not to laugh as they're sleeping. And he's petting his hair. I don't know what that's all about. So Jesus comes back to him. Look at Jesus. Jesus is pulling a Martha. It's like, can, hey, hey, can you not pray with me for one hour? You know how much I've invested in you? I'm, I have taught you. I have been there for you. You see, they were okay with following Jesus when he was showing his divine nature. But they weren't so good at following Jesus when he was showing his fleshly nature. When he's praying in the garden. When he needed. And sometimes when you need people the most is when they're not there for you. And we can translate this experience that Jesus had, that experience that Martha had for her brother Lazarus, we can translate that from the horizontal relationships of our life to the vertical relationship with God. And we can think because I've seen this happen too many times where I gave and gave and gave and I put in the extra hours and I went to work early and I did all this other stuff and I gave, I drove over to my family's house, which is two and a half hours away on the holiday weekend when I wanted to be with my friends, but yet I went and helped them re-roof their house. Okay, so I have a little bit of bitterness, pray for me. <laughs> it was just one situation where I had to do some re-roofing. That's all. And they're not there for you when you need it. That is not the God we serve. Thank you guys. Give him a big hand for helping us out. So you have to know that God is not going to leave you in the moments of your greatest trial. So Jesus tells her in verse 23 and 26, he said, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know He's going to rise again I, I, in the resurrection on the last day. It's coming someday. Jesus said, no, no. Here's the, here's the big thing. I am the resurrection, the life. The one who believes in, in me will live. I don't know exactly what the translation says there, but anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Verse 26 says, and whosoever lives by believing in me, will never die. So Mary and Martha were on, I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but it's page 1,135 for mine. And 1,135 in this book, their brother was dead, there was no hope, and Jesus had not showed up. But on 1,036, Jesus came, changed it all, turned it all around, and built an opportunity for him to make it to the cross through Lazarus, which is a whole other story that I try not to preach every time I get to this story. But he said, I am the resurrection and the life. They wanted a healing. God gave them a resurrection. Jesus said, take away the stone. They said, I, we don't want to do that. And God came through, and God literally sits there, weeps for a minute, God in flesh, and then he goes, Lazarus, come forth. He yells it. I don't know why he had to yell it. I don't know why he had to say it so loud, because 
I'm guessing that because he's been dead so long, it's he's hard of hearing. You know, dead people, they don't hear too well. So he had to yell it. No, it doesn't say that he yelled it. It just says he said it. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And then he was wrapped in grave clothes that they had to release from him. But I want you to know this, that Jesus is not holding out on you because he wants to just make you suffer. He is actually preparing a bigger plan for you. If you wanted to be married by now, and you're not, whoever's listening to this online maybe, and you've been like searching for that boyfriend, and you have this boyfriend, maybe you even have someone that you like, and you're like, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. And three years from now, you're going to be like, he wasn't the one, he wasn't the one, he wasn't the one. And you think, and you're, maybe you're struggling right now with the fact that there's something that you wanted to have done. Maybe you wanted to be further along in your financial career. Maybe you wanted to have some investments by now. Maybe you thought that you'd have a better vehicle or you'd have something better going in life. Those are American problems, brothers and sisters. But the truth of the matter is God does care. And he's not holding out on you. But he will come through if you keep your faith in God. So God might be just preparing you if you're waiting, God might be preparing you. And if you're waiting, he might be preparing somebody else. What if we gave God some space? Have you ever had somebody say that? Just give me some space. Hey, just give me some space. I'll be all right. Just give me some space. Can you do that for God today? I wonder if maybe we could spend some time Today going, God, I don't know why it's working out this way. I don't know why it seems like Lazarus is still in the tomb. I don't know why I'm at 1135 and I want to be at 1136. But if you could today, God, help me to readjust my expectations so that I don't give you something that's less than what you wanted to do in the situation. Can you give God all of the situation and so I ask you today, is that something that God would get glory from? Is your expectation something that God would get glory from? Yeah, yeah. If God had shown up for Mary and Martha, they would have heard about it. Oh, God healed Lazarus. That would be expected. He loved Lazarus. But when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, it was heard about throughout all of the country. And when the Sadducees came to kill Jesus, they couldn't take him and kill him privately. Because there were so many people that came to see Lazarus being resurrected that they couldn't sneak in, take Jesus, and take him off and kill him privately. Jesus' ability to go to the cross for us. You've heard this before because I love this point. I've preached it before. Jesus' ability to make it to the cross to save us, to die for us as our substitution was because Lazarus was risen again. Because of the fame of Lazarus, they could not get in to get Jesus. They had to wait until he went to the cross. And God knew exactly what was going on the whole time for Mary and Martha. So Mary, I would tell her, you can be happy. Because God knows what's going on. And I would tell Martha, don't sweat it, Martha. If you're a Martha here, God's got it under control. I just want you to know that. Could you stand with me? And I'll finish with this statement. The scene of your greatest disappointment may be the setting of your greatest miracle. What if God could do something awesome? We were driving to Alaska, and I'll finish with the story. 
we were driving to Alaska and I was 12 years old and my stepdad was going to jail for stuff he had done and and I decided you know I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna fly back to Oregon where my mother is staying with my grandparents and I could have stayed in Texas with my dad and I could have lived a good life you know everything that a kid would want and and I decided you know I don't need to leave my mother alone I'm gonna go with her and I'm going to just I'm gonna ride to Alaska in a car and on the way there we got into a major accident we came off a wet bridge and we slid into the ditch and turned over and my greatest and valuable possession my bike <laughs> was destroyed and as a kid I was crushed I was like why God and the farthest thing from the accident, the truck turned up, the camper rolled off and just crushed my bike, which my bike was strapped to the top of it. And it just flung things for feet. I mean, just hundreds of feet just flung our, our goods just into the, into the grass and into the cow pasture that was there. And I stood there and I went like, all of my stuff is destroyed. Everything that I thought I was gonna do good here, I was gonna come back, ride with my mom, I was gonna help her, be there for her. And all of the things that I thought I was doing now all of my stuff is in just destruction in front of me. And there's my favorite bike, destroyed. As a kid, that's important. I don't know why that's so important, but it still sticks in my memory. And we started picking up all the pieces, Carla. And you know what the furthest thing was away from the truck that didn't break? A jar of pickles. Why, God, would you destroy my bike and save a jar of pickles? As a kid, I didn't have any concept as to what was going on. But right before that, my brother was laying in the floorboard of the truck. My mom was driving, and I was laying on the seat. My mom felt the Lord urge her, hey, have the boys get up and get their seat. Got in the seatbelts. When we went over to our side, we just sat up on our side, and everything got thrown off. And we were all hanging from our seatbelts. The cat was in my brother's lap and it jumped and the only thing it found was my hand with one claw. So it just kind of like pulled itself under the seat from my hand. So I'm bleeding when the cops show up and everything. But there was one cop that was going home a different way and the Lord said, you need to go the other way. He turned around and backtracked and came to the other road and he pulled up as we were sliding across the road going into the ditch. He walked over, he helped us out of the car, made sure that I wasn't, you know, bleeding out. And he said, I know some people that will take care of you. We didn't have enough money to fix the truck. We didn't have any idea of what God was doing. Why in the world would God make us wait in the middle of Canada to get to Alaska? And he took us to a home of some people, and they had a trampoline, and they had dirt bikes, and they had all the stuff a kid loves. I spent a week playing video games, trampoline, and riding on stuff that I really enjoyed doing. As a kid, it was the funnest week of my life in Canada. Probably the only week of my life in Canada, but that's neither here nor there. And off of that, we were able to witness to that family. They were a good family, good people. My mother's still in contact with them. And I don't know exactly what came of it all, but I know this, that God turned around a policeman, God put us in seatbelts, and God gave us a week with people that needed to know about God. All from that accident. And when it was all said and done, I can't look back and say God didn't have his hand in it, Alessandro. I know 
I know God had his hand in it. So I'm asking you, would you trust God today? I know I've been long, but I'm going to heal I'm going to heal somebody's heart right here, and that is when God gets done, it's going to be the greatest miracle for your life. Betty, you know what I'm talking about. When God gets done, it's going to be amazing for you. I promise you, Seth, it's going to be good. When God gets done, it's going to be amazing. Bow your heads with me, Jesus. We take ownership so many times because we're taught to be responsible in this life, and sometimes we take ownership of things you're working on when we get in the way we ask you to help us would you bring a resurrection to a situation right now would you bring an 1136 moment to somebody who's stuck on a page of 1135 where it looks like there's no hope there's no opportunity there's no change been looking for that new job can't find it god you've got that new moment that resurrection moment in store for us Jesus, there's somebody here with a relationship that's gone sideways. Would you help them right now to understand that if we keep it in your hands and we surrender it to you, that you are the author and finisher of everything and we can literally see you write the rest of the book of that relationship and make it good. Would you help somebody here today in their heart and their life and their mind?